You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Today we are celebrating Father's Day, the necessity of fatherhood and the necessity of being good, godly parents as we follow Jesus. Fatherhood is a beautiful and a sacred role in the life of every person. And it's a role that God uses to describe his relationship with us. It's a beautiful, it's a powerful thing, but it's not always filled well. Today is a difficult day for some of us. For some of us, this is the first Father's Day without our dad. And if that's you, I just want to say we're grieving with you and I'm sorry. Death is not, uh, was not an intended part of the human experience. But in Jesus, we trust in a resurrection. For others of us, we have a broken relationship with our dad. And maybe we always have. Others have experienced deep wounds or even abuse from our fathers. For some, we don't know our dad. We never have. And we long to and wish we did. Father's Day can come with grief. It can come with wounds. It can come with pain. But it can also come with gratitude and joy. It's a complex day, and I just want to acknowledge that right from the top, but regardless of the complexities, we are celebrating today that fatherhood is a gift. Today's my first official Father's Day, and it's kind of weird. You know, I'm not used to being celebrated on Father's Day. I'm not really sure, like, what I'm supposed to do other than uh, pick a restaurant. (laughs) We're doing a combo Father's Day with some of my in-laws, and they wanted me to pick the restaurant, and I chose a Korean restaurant. They're not really that kind of person, <laughs> really into Asian food. So it's going to be an interesting day. I think, though, I'm supposed to, as a father, choose the restaurant, right? Like, that's one of the rules for Father's Day. I don't know if there are others, but it'd be nice to have a manual. You know, I don't know if anyone else feels that way. Because, like, it's mind-blowing that they send you home from the hospital with a baby and no instructions. You know what I mean? Like, it would be so nice if there was, like, a manual, maybe that had coloring, you know, <laughs> coloring pages in it. Maybe that had pictures, called like a dude's guide to dadding, with just some essentials of like, hey, that's how you'd be a good dad, something like that, right? It'd be nice to leave the hospital with that. I mean, I've heard that joke so many times because being a parent is so hard, right? We would love to just have a, this is what you do to not screw this up. Because I don't know a single parent that goes home with their baby and goes, you know what? I really want to blow this. (laughs) I really would just love to screw this up. I don't know any parent that wants to do a bad job, but I also don't know any parent and specifically don't know any fathers that really feel like they're killing it either. Parenting is hard and it puts our character and inner person to the test in the deepest of ways. Today, I come to you not as an expert teacher, who has all the answers and who's done it all and been there and had my trials, like, I'm in the middle of it. I come to you as a student and as a new dad who is trying to figure out what it means to be a good dad. Now, I believe that all the things we're going to talk about today apply to parenting as a whole, not just fatherhood, and, you know, apply to uh, mothers, caretakers, guardians, even friendships. I, I think all the things that we're talking about are so vast in general in their scope, they can apply to so many relationships, but today is Father's Day. So I'm going to be referring to the dads, even though this content is for everybody. And the question that I want to answer today, and that I'm asking in my own life as I'm a new dad, is I want to know how do I be a godly man? 
and a good dad. Now, the normal and natural source that we're designed to look to for this answer is our own dad. But like I already mentioned earlier, that's not always an option. Some of us can't get our dad's input, and some of us don't want it at all. When this is the case, we run into the danger of defining our vision for our fatherhood as simply being not like my dad. We become committed to not repeating the same mistakes, sins, past, or abandonment of our father. This can be a good thing, and it has some wisdom in it, but defining ourselves against somebody else is not the same thing as a positive vision for our own future. Not being like my dad doesn't help me be a good dad. It just helps me avoid some of my dad's own sins and mistake, even if I commit others, because I may escape his sins, but I might become blinded to my own. When I think about this, I think of Mark. Mark's dad was an addict, and that addiction tore his family apart. Sometimes it led Mark to hearing screaming matches coming through his doorway at night, coming through the walls and the vents. And other times the house was just filled with an ice-cold silence as his parents coexisted together, but you could hardly call them a family. As Mark got a little older, his dad's addiction got worse, and it led to his dad having an affair. And when his mom found out, it was an explosion that ended in fists and police lights. His parents divorced shortly after, and Mark moved out as soon as he possibly could. Now, six years later, Mark is engaged, but his main goal in life is to be not like my dad. This vision for his life may keep him from repeating some of his dad's mistakes, but it won't help him be a better dad. It'll just help him be a different one. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin are for those of us who had awesome dads, but there's a trap in this too. Instead of trying to be the opposite of our dad, we can define ourselves as trying to be just like them even better. We eagerly look forward to replicating some of our dad's routines and games and mannerisms and rhythms with our own kids. We're excited about the bedtime story routine or that hiking trip he took us on or the sports we did together. There's a lot of goodness in this, and every dad's hope is that our kids are proud that we're their dad, right? That's what we want. However, simply trying to be just like my dad still isn't a vision for my life. Take Dave, for example. Dave would tell you he had a great dad. You don't have to talk to him very long to find that out. And when, when he was younger and he asked you know, what he wanted to be when he grew up, he said, I want to be my dad. You know, just such an admiration for the man that raised him. Dave's dad spoke life over him and made great memories with him and really taught his son how to navigate the world. And that is beautiful. However, now Dave has two kids of his own and he filters all of his parenting decisions through the lens of what would my dad do or say in this situation. His wife is beginning to feel resentful because she feels like his dad's shadow is a third parent in their parenting and a third partner in their marriage. She and Dave's mom have very different personalities, and everything Dave's parents did doesn't quite work for their family. Dave's wife is very grateful he had a great experience with his dad, and she hopes that their kids feel similarly, but she also can't help but feel crushed under the weight of expectation, that both of them feel under the shadow of feeling like they have to live up to his parents, 
His wife is beginning to resent it, and you know, in his heart of hearts, Dave kind of does too. But he doesn't know what else to do. He's trying to live a life that God had given to someone else, not the life that God had given to him. All of us have our own lives to lead before God. And uh, defining ourselves by comparison to or in opposition against someone else is not a fruitful vision for our own lives. It causes us to simply avoid some sins while falling into others or to grade ourselves based on someone else's performance. If these two visions for life are insufficient, the question is how do we learn to become good fathers? Well, Rather than trying to define my life in opposition to someone else or trying to live a life that is not the one God has for me, I'm trying to absorb the wisdom from my father and my father figures around me while making my father in heaven the source of my answer to the question of how do I be a godly man and a good dad. So I want to spend the remainder of our time today looking at three different ways that God parented Jesus. Scripture tells us that God is a good father, and we know that God is perfect. So I want to model my fatherhood after our good and perfect father in heaven. Now, a disclaimer before we jump into this. I just need to say, God is not a bigger, more cosmic version of your dad. When we talk about fatherhood, if you've had a bad dad, you can have some trauma around thinking of God as your father. He's not your dad. God is perfect. Your dad was not. God is good. Your dad wasn't always good. He is the father, not our earthly father. For some of us with bad or absent dads, like I said, we can have a distorted view of God because we see him through the lens of our father's choices. But this is not a true perception of our heavenly father. Your, he your earthly father may have been a bad dad, but your father in heaven is a good one. And if you find yourself in that place today, I just want to invite you to pray with me real quick so we can just set our hearts right and remove that as a barrier for what God might say to us. So Lord, we come before you today with many distractions, many stresses, many agendas. And on this Father's Day, we pray that Lord, you would teach us not just who you want us to be, but who you are as well. Bring our vision of you and vision of fatherhood into your good, beautiful, and perfect truth. Soften our hearts to hear your voice. Remove the barriers, Lord, that would keep us from hearing your love for us. And set our hearts in alignment with you as we hear from your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we look at how the Father in heaven parents Jesus, chronologically, one of the very first things we see in the Gospels is this interaction. It starts here in Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as Jesus moves out of obscurity and into the public eye, his dad publicly affirms 
and encourages him. He tells not just Jesus, but everyone present that he is proud of his son and that they should listen to him. He associates himself with Jesus and he endorses him. You know, I see this and I can't help but think about the hardships that Jesus is going to endure over the next three years. Jesus is about to be constantly misunderstood. He's going to be attacked. He's going to be outcast by the religious establishment. He's going to be judged, condemned, and ultimately murdered and crucified. The world is about to tell Jesus so many things about him that are all lies and untrue. They're going to tell him you're wrong. They're going to tell him you're crazy. They're going to tell him you're dangerous. They're going to tell him you're not one of us. You're from the devil. You're not to be trusted. You're only special if, you know, you'd really be better if, fill in the blank. However, before Jesus hears any of these voices speaking messages over his life that are untrue, he hears his dad's voice affirming him and telling him what is good about him and that he's proud of him. Jesus has the power, I believe, to resist those other voices because of the strength of his father's voice in his own head and heart. And when I read that, I think two things. Really, I think three things. We'll get to the third one later, but two main things. One, I think this is my responsibility as a dad. You know, I'm, I'm a dad of a nine-month-year-old baby girl. And the world is going to try to tell my baby girl lots of things that are not in her best interest. And I have a choice as her dad. I can contribute to the voices that tell her why she's not enough. Or I can be the loudest voice in her head telling her what makes her good and what makes her beautiful. I need to make a habit of telling my kid what is good about her and what I love about her. Not just that I love her in a general sense, like I love you, sweetheart, but being specific about the things that make her a unique, beautiful, unrepeatable miracle of God. When was the last time your kids heard that from you? When was the last time our kids heard that from us? Now, one of the interesting things about this passage is it's not just an affirmation. It's a special kind of affirmation. This is a blessing. In her book, Teach Your Children Well, author Sarah Cowan Johnson says this. She says, while praise is about doing, blessing is about being. Blessing is a way that humans image God. Parents often express pride and praise for the good or impressive things their children do, which is wonderful. But when praise is not also accompanied by words of life, and the child's being, about the child's being, the blessing deficit is similar. So for example, praise might be good job on that art project. Blessing would be you are so creative. Praise might be thank you for helping with the dishes. Blessing would be you are so thoughtful. Praise might be I'm so proud of you for getting good grades. And blessing would be you are so intelligent. I just love the way your mind works. The second thing I think about this is that just like our kids, 
all of us have this hole in our heart where we long to hear blessings over our life, that it's good that we exist. And for many of us, the messages we received from our dad communicated the exact opposite of that or didn't communicate anything at all. Maybe he was passive or silent or absent or destructive or damaging. Many of us have grown sarcastic or cynical. Or we've built up emotional barriers to keep from getting hurt again. And if that's you, I can tell you from, your experience, from my experience, even if your dad is awesome, you would still need to know that you're very good. Because that hole in your heart was never meant to be filled by your earthly father. It was meant to be filled by your heavenly father. And hopefully your earthly father did his best. But ultimately, whether our dads failed or succeeded, all of us need to hear it from our heavenly father. And just like he told Jesus, I believe God wants to communicate to you today his love and blessing and affirmation over you. So I want you to hear what I'm about to say as though God is saying it to you. I believe that God wants you to know today, I love you and I am so very glad that you exist. I could not imagine this world without you in it. And I want you to be with me forever. What would it look like to live this out in your home right now? to receive that message from your Heavenly Father and to communicate a message like that to your kids. When was the last time in the midst of all the shuffling and the homework and the teaching obedience and the playing sports that instead of a voice of correction, your kids heard a voice of blessing? The second thing that I see the Father do in relationship to Jesus in terms of parenting him is seen here in John chapter 5. As Jesus is speaking of the Pharisees, he says this. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleases to give it, <clears throat> whom he is pleased to give it. I want to zoom in on one of the lines here that says he can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. There's two really important things here that God the Father is doing in relationship with Jesus. The first thing is that the father is present and engaged in Jesus's world. God is deeply involved in Jesus's life. He knows what's going on. He's up to date on the things Jesus is concerned about. He knows what Jesus is prioritizing and working on. He is present. He is active. And he is available to his son. He's not just around but disconnected. The father is actively engaged. Second, not only is the father involved in Jesus' world, but Jesus is involved in his dad's world. The father has invited Jesus into his work. Not only does the father know what's going on with Jesus, Jesus knows what's important to his dad. He's not watching his dad disappear for eight to ten hours and missing his best energies and output and creativity and then, and then only seeing his dad again exhausted at dinner time. Jesus knows what his dad thinks. He knows what's important to him. And Jesus is watching his dad work in the world. 
Jesus isn't just watching the Father. Jesus is being trusted by the Father to work with him. In this passage, we see that the Father is involved in his Son's life. And the Son has been invited into his Dad's life. The Father has established a relationship of connection. And we have a modern psychological word for this. Today, we call it attunement. Dr. Dan Siegel says this about attunement. He says, when we attune with others, we allow our internal state to shift, to come to resonate with the inner world of another. This resonance is at the heart of the important sense of feeling felt that emerges in close relationships. Children need attunement to feel secure and to develop well. And throughout our lives, we need attunement to feel close and connected. Attunement might look like an adult seeing a baby crying, recognizing the baby is hungry, and then picking up the baby to feed her. In an adult relationship, attunement might be an adult who knows that I'm fine doesn't actually mean that, and digs a little deeper to find out what's going on. When working with kids, attunement comes across as genuinely caring about them. It's not just about asking about their day as a courtesy, but truly listening and caring about their response. It's about noticing when a kid comes into the room in a bad mood, or when they're unusually quiet, or when they're struggling to focus. The Father is attuned to Jesus and gives us that as an example to follow as parents. When I have an agenda or I'm highly distracted, attuning is a really big struggle for me. And it's a sacrifice for me to release my agenda and to refocus and be present with my wife or my daughter or anyone else for that matter. But this is not just a kind sacrifice, like, okay, I'll do it because I want to be a good person. This is a holy and sacred sacrifice that is at the heart of loving well. And it's something I am actively seeking to grow in in this new season of my life. So let me just ask, what does this look like at your kid's age and stage right now? What does being attuned to them look like? Right now for me, it looks like being interested in what my daughter's playing with. It looks like smiling back when she smiles at me. When she starts to giggle, I giggle at her. It looks like holding her when she's crying. It looks like noticing when she's getting tired or hungry and preemptively preparing for her needs. It looks like interrupting my day to slowly walk behind her as she explores every nook and cranny of our house now that she's crawling. And I'm trying to protect her from stuff, and I'm trying to protect our stuff from her. <laughs> so what does attunement look like for you at your kid's age and stage? One side note before we move on in verse 20, this is really important. It says, for the father loves his son and shows him all he does. This is why this is important. The Father is initiating teaching Jesus his greatest values. One of the temptations of all men that we see beginning in the Garden of Eden is the temptation to be passive and to allow our wives to be the initiator, negotiator, and the driver of the ship of the home. And there's great women leaders. I'm not downplaying that, nor am I saying that uh, women can't lead or lead in the home. I'm pu pushing on the fact that many men want their kids to love God to know how to pray, to know how to deal with difficult people and things. But when it comes time to engage and initiate those values at home, men, we can defer to our wives to be the ones to instigate going to church, 
to instigate signing them up for soccer, to instigate family prayer or devotional time, to instigate helping with homework, to instigate listening to the hard day and helping the kids process. Men and women are designed as a team. And the father takes the initiative in showing Jesus how to live. Men, whatever values we want our kids to have, we have to initiate those values in the home. If we want our kids to love God and go to church, how often are we initiating that? If we want our kids to read the Bible, how often are we initiating that? And even if we don't know how to do it ourselves, are we going to learn with them? If we want our kids to know how to pray, how often are we praying with them? If we want our kids to speak honestly with us, how often are we inviting them to do so while we listen actively? You get the idea, right? Neither spouse should be the solo initiator of the family's values. And the father certainly is the one initiating for Jesus to show him this is what his values are. Okay, moving on. The final thing that we're going to talk about today that we see uh, is in our final passage and a passage that you might recognize really well. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The older son hears about this, and he becomes angry at his father's forgiveness and compassion on his wayward brother. And he refuses to join the homecoming party. So the father goes out into the fields to find him and tries to help him understand. The father says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Professor of social work, Dr. Mark Trahan, did a five-year study across race, religion, age, income, co-parenting alliance, relationship satisfaction, and so many other factors to try to answer this question. What makes a good father? That's the question the study was trying to answer. What makes a good father? So Dr. Tran uh, created this survey. He sent it to social service agencies all over the U.S. and found there was only one factor that made good dads. And it was this. The study found the father's confidence that he was going to love his kid or kids no matter what happened is what set the good dads apart. The father didn't have to have all the answers for all of life's circumstances. He didn't have to know how to solve every problem. He didn't have to prevent every mistake. He didn't have to provide for every need or protect them from every danger. 
but he did have to have the confidence that no matter what choices they made, successes or failures they had, no matter what sins they committed, no matter how life may change, no matter how lost or found they were, he was going to love them because they were his kids. Furthermore, Dr. Tran found that good fathers didn't just talk about love, but they exemplified it by their actions. They showed their children how to love by example, not by commands. And when a kid believes the statement, my dad loves me no matter what, that kid thinks I have a good dad. What I love about this study is the study simply found what the Bible already shows us. This study simply defined the attitude of the father that we see in Jesus' parable of the lost sons. The father in the parable loved his son before any relationship was broken. The father in the parable loved his son when his son effectively said, I wish you were dead. The father in the parable loved his son when he was lost and living poorly. The father in the parable loved his son when his son came home in shame. The father in the parable loved his son when his oldest was resentful. And the father in the parable loved his son no matter what. Not because of his performance, but just because he was his kid. And a good godly dad loves their kid no matter what. Now as we close, I know that these things we just talked about, that a good dad is affirming private and publicly, that a good dad is attuned that a good dad loves unconditionally. These things describe the way the father parents Jesus and indeed even parents us, but they're not just from God to us, Uh, for, for God to fathers. This isn't just about fatherhood. This is God's attitude towards all of us. Your heavenly father wants to affirm you on the deepest level, blessing you richly. Your heavenly Father is attuned to your every hope, wish, fear, need, and delight. Your heavenly Father is relentlessly pursuing you with a love that knows no boundaries or conditions. And I have a feeling that many of us don't know that today. We can't remember the last time anyone encouraged us, let alone getting a soul encouragement from the Father. We can't remember the last time someone wanted to give us attention without wanting something in return. We can't remember the last time we felt like we weren't screwing something up, afraid that love might be withheld. Some of us can't remember because it's been so long since we sat down with our Father in heaven, just the two of us, to hear him speak those things over us. And some of us have just never experienced that. We're not followers of Jesus. So the Father in heaven is distant. And we are lost from him. And if that's you, I just want you to know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believed in him might not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus died on the cross because you and I have sinned. And that sin has broken us separating us from God and his design for our lives. But when Jesus was on the cross, God put sin to death. And when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead to save us from death. 
and to offer us life and life to the full, both in this life and in the next. Our sin separates us from God, and no father wants to be separated from their kids. God doesn't want to be separated from you. Whether you have a relationship with God or whether you've fallen away, whether you've never known him, I want to invite you right now to pray with me and to receive the Father's love for you. And then we'll, I'll say a few more things and we'll close. Father, Lord, I just pray that you would forgive me for my sin. I pray that you would convict me of it, Lord. That if I'm unaware, that you would show me in all of your gentleness and goodness. And Lord, I, I repent of that. And I want to come home. And I want to know your love and have it just wash over me in the deepest levels of my heart. I receive Jesus' sacrifice for my sins. And I ask, Lord, that you would lead me into life in all its fullness. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed with me, please, please, please reach out to us via our digital bulletin so we can walk alongside you. If you're a dad and you've been moved by this and you go, man, I got to start instigating some of these values. I got to start blessing my kids. I got to get better at tuning. I need to love my kids a little deeper. And you're not sure what to do. Again, please reach out to us. We want to walk alongside you. And uh, if you're not a dad and you're just here for Father's Day, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. I hope you join us next week as we begin our series in the Psalms. And we will see you next week. Thank you for being here. God bless.